Hello, welcome to Healing Out Loud with me, your host, Jackie Shea. This is a place to relate to the darkest days and be inspired by ultimate triumph. Each week, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on, highly informed about something new, and connected to a tribe of amazing humans. Because the only way out is through, but it helps to have a tribe walking with you. Hey guys, and happy new week. I have great news thanks to your brilliant suggestion. I started a Patreon page, a place where you can support this podcast with small monthly payments so that I keep bringing you awesome content. It takes a lot of work to do this each week, you guys, and I really want to keep them coming. Check out the perks you get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash healing out loud. The link is also in the show notes. All right, I have a great episode for you this week with mindfulness coach Nicole Prophet. We dive deep into the grief and the rage that often comes with illness and how Nicole got through it. Today, still healing from fibromyalgia, interstitial cystitis, and chronic fatigue syndrome, Nicole has a big, full life thanks to surrender and acceptance and total dedication to her health. The weekly challenge is to ask deeper questions and listen more deeply. Sound kind of elusive? We get into it in the episode. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or any other platform. Check out JackieShea.com if you'd like to work with me as your wellness mentor. And follow me on Instagram at Shea. Jackie for wellness tips and weekly challenge updates. And please feel free to join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea Facebook community. All right, you guys, let's hit this week's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be back. I am so excited to welcome my guest, Nicole Prophet, a woman's mindfulness coach, somatic experiencing practitioner in training in the Bay Area. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jackie. Hi, I'm so I'm really excited to talk to you. I love um, that I get to podcast because I just get to talk to people that inspire the shit out of me every week. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I'm so excited to go have this this call with Nicole. I'm gonna learn so much, and I'm gonna be so fucking inspired. Um, <laughs> well, I'm really excited to be here because I'm equally inspired by what you're doing. So it's a win win for both of us. Yay! Um, so. I'm going to jump in. You have a really long history of trauma that uh, may or may not have led or be a part of the reason, you know, you're diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and interstitial cystitis. We we know there is a connection between trauma and illness, but we obviously can't definitively say what what your illnesses were born out of. Uh, that being said, we do tell us a little bit about life before physical symptoms, a brief summary of, of traumas and coping mechanisms used and physical health during that time. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question, Jackie. Yeah, it, it's really interesting as I've been going through this healing process and also in the work that I do professionally, it's been really interesting to look at the connection between the traumas that I've experienced in my own life and how these are manifesting as illness in in my body. And so, as you said, I was diagnosed a couple of years ago with fibromyalgia after living with the symptoms of it for years and years. Additionally, I was also uh, diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and more recently got another diagnosis of interstitial cystitis, or it's also known as uh, uh, 
bladder pain syndrome. I've worked with a lot of doctors who have said, you know, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, and we can do this. But as I've been going through this process over the years, there's always been this awareness that this is so much deeper than just basic top-level symptoms, that there's something actually imbalanced in my in my system that's leading to this illness. And so, you know, the, the, the fibromyalgia manifests a lot as pain throughout the body, a lot of fatigue in the body, as well as cognitive and neurological symptoms. And then the chronic fatigue syndrome is just exactly what it says. It's just really chronic fatigue. And then the interstitial cystitis has manifested more as pain and dysfunction in the pelvic bladder urethra region. And for some people, it manifests as like a five-alarm fire UTI in that isn't actually a UTI. It's not a bacterial infection, but it feels like you have that. And many people end up being able to manage the symptoms of all of these conditions. And fewer people I have found have really found full freedom from these. And I decided that I'm not really willing to live just managing my symptoms. And, you know, I do currently still experience a lot of fatigue and a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort in my body. And what I feel so thankful for is that I have this really deep desire to fully heal. And I also have awareness of the tools that I could utilize to heal my body. Um, regarding the trauma that has led to this, it's been a really interesting journey, as much as it grieves me to say this. Um, unfortunately, just because of the nature of the, the family system that I was born in and that there was a lot of addiction and dysfunction and depression and other things. And during this time, there has been a history of sexual trauma. There's been a history of numerous car accidents. There's been just the general experience of loss and grief, having lost three people in my immediate family in the last five years. Um, there's also been um, just physical, I was witness to lots of physical violence when I was a child. And so there's PTSD from that as well as PTSD from uh, sexual trauma that I sustained when I was 28 years old. Uh, uh, the experience of being raped essentially and how that just turned my life upside down and and, and then there's this vicarious trauma of what comes sort of on the heels of the explicit traumas of just not being able to function in my life and not being able to achieve in my career. And, and that itself, you know, for years living undiagnosed and wondering why I was so tired and in so much pain and why I could barely like hold down jobs for a period of years. That is its own trauma because there's this lack of understanding of what's going on in my body and why can't I just do what other people are doing. Um, so as I've been really looking at what's happening in my body, what I've gotten clear about is that if I want to heal, I also have to look at the trauma history. And I have to look at how does resolving the trauma play a really critical and integral role in healing what's happening in my body. And I don't think I could have healing in one area without healing in the other because they're, yeah. they're so intimately linked. Yeah, so. I completely, completely agree with that. And I would say that, yeah, in order to fully heal, you really do need to look at the trauma. But it's interesting because you had 
such an extensive list of traumas from childhood, but you weren't physically uh, symptomatic. And really, you had lots of energy and <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and lots of physical freedom up until the mm-hmm. time you started being symptomatic much later. Uh, mm-hmm. So your coping mechanisms, I would imagine, and this is true for me, I was always healthy enough to have my trauma coping mechanisms be distraction and busyness and exercise mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. Or, or drinking and using drugs or smoke things mm-hmm. that aren't healthy. Is, is that true for you too? Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting, you know, the, the, this point that you make about how I wasn't symptomatic for, I really wasn't symptomatic until my, my early thirties. And, and most of the trauma was basically zero to 28. And, and I think, yeah, I had a lot of other coping mechanisms. You know, I was really active and I really relied on my social communities and I probably uh, relied on my codependency and a lot of relational and uh, human relationship addiction. And that was one of the ways that I really distracted myself from what was happening in my body and from all the various traumas. Um, and then I also, you know, I was lucky at a young age, I got turned on to meditation and that was a really profound turning point in my life. I think I was introduced to the Buddhist teachings when I was about 19 or 20 and and dabbled with meditation sporadically and then really dove into meditation in full force when I was about 25. Okay, this yeah. is such an interesting point. I'm going to just mm-hmm. jump in because yeah, totally. you found you found meditation before you got sick, right? So Yeah. Um, I have this very interesting experience working with clients and with myself too, where all of these learned seemingly very spiritual things, uh, mm-hmm. turn to kind of shit when, when, when you get really, really sick. And it's like, but wait a second, I've been practicing mindfulness meditation <laughs> for years and years and years. Like, why isn't yeah. that? W- and it becomes something that's so much harder to do when you're facing physical illness in my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. I know that you obviously practice mindfulness and and meditation and this is your career today, Mm -hmm. but was there a period, you know, when you started getting symptomatic and started getting sick where it surprised you that your meditation practice wasn't as easy or serving you as much as you would think it was through something, Mm -hmm. through suffering? Yeah, that's a really great question, and 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 it's really on point. And what's interesting is, you know, so in my late twenties, right? So I had the rape experience when I was twenty-eight, and around that time, I moved out to a meditation center. And I had been meditating and gone on a lot of retreats prior to that. But at that time, I moved out to a meditation center, and I really went into some self-chosen isolation in some sense because I was so traumatized that I really couldn't deal with life. So I really dove head into my meditation practice. And and my meditation practice became the most primary thing in my life. And that took me well through my early 30s. And so, and I'll, I'll get to the, the specific response to your question. Um, so in some sense, what I 
Oh, well, and then after that, I left Washington State. I moved to California. Or, sorry, I actually went on, I moved out to the San Juan Islands up in Washington State. And from there, I went on about a year and a half long meditation sabbatical where I literally was meditating constantly for a year and a half. And I went on several very long, several long retreats. And so I was really diving in to my practice really deeply. And what's interesting is that it was after that period that I became symptomatic. And so what happens in the, the meditation process is, you know, as the, the body begins to relax and the mind begins to quiet, it creates all this space for all this other stuff to come to the surface that we've been distracted from through all those things that you listed earlier. So it's not surprising to me that I became symptomatic after this very long sort of five-year stretch of doing very, very, very intensive meditation practice. And what's interesting was I think it was when I was 33, maybe 34. I had By that time, I had lived in California in the Bay Area for about a year and a half. I went on another six-week-long meditation retreat. And during that retreat, the whole retreat, you know, 42 days, six weeks, I was so full of rage every single day. And there was a lot of stuff going on in my life circumstantially that triggered that, but the rage that was coming up was much deeper. And I think the rage really was, it was all of the, the trauma coming to the surface. And at one point, I was talking with my teacher on the retreat, and I just said, this is so unbearable. I cannot handle this right now. And he asked me to step out of the retreat for a couple of days and just go like read a book and watch some TV and just not meditate because it was more than physically I could handle. And I came back and I made it through, but the rage didn't, it never died down. And I was just so fucking furious. And it was so, it was like an eruption in my body constantly. And I think what ended up happening was that my nervous system got blown out because I didn't have the capacity to be present with that much of the physiological energy of rage, that what ended up happening was I couldn't meditate anymore for like probably two years. Every time I sat down to meditate, I felt like I wanted to fucking kill somebody or I wanted to kill myself because the rage was so overwhelming. And just sitting there was so physically uncomfortable. And I kept talking to my teacher and I kept working with him and he just said, this is Maybe this is a period where you need to not be practicing. Um, it was really painful for me because whereas like my meditation practice before had been so healing and so nourishing and it had been such a refuge, it all of a sudden became a place where I didn't feel safe anymore. Mm. And, and, and so all of a sudden it was like, well, what, what do I do now? Where do I go with all of this pain and grief and suffering and sorrow that I didn't know what to do with? And, and so I had to find other ways to, to work with this. I had to find other ways to continue to practice mindfulness and practice awareness, but I couldn't do a formal sitting meditation practice and I couldn't do anything where my mind got too concentrated because it was so overwhelming and so painful. And so my teacher really encouraged me to step back from formal practice and just practice being aware of beauty and the sun and sounds and smells and things that didn't bring me too close into the physiological experience of being uncomfortable and rageful and sorrowful in my physical body. So 
That's so um that's so interesting and I think one of the most powerful things that comes up on some podcasts uh some some of our episodes is um really allowing your experience. So you really didn't yeah. you really didn't fight with the idea that you couldn't meditate. Like it was it's okay that you can't. And I think meditation gets sort of um, boxed into this category of like something that's always good for you. Yeah, um, not always. Right, what? Uh, not always. Right. Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, if it's not good for you, if you're having this experience to take a step back and say, all right, I need to find another way. I just think that's brilliant. And that's such a, that's such a simple way to kind of care for yourself that many of us don't, a tool that a lot of us don't have, we're just not really taught to live that way necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a really interesting thing because I think especially as mindfulness and meditation are really becoming much more popular and especially in medical and scientific communities, there's so much evidence-based research showing that it is really healthy. When we take a trauma-informed approach, one of the things that we have to look at is that for certain people, depending on their trauma history or just their their life history, very heavily body-based mindfulness may not be the wisest place to start. And so, and I take a very trauma-informed approach with my own clients. And I work with many women who are dealing with a lot of trauma that lives in the body. And so we have to sometimes approach it much more slowly. And sometimes I'll say, you know, I don't want you to do a regular mindfulness practice. I want you to just practice noticing what you enjoy mm-hmm. when you feel, when you feel delight or pleasure and, and begin to bring the attention into that. So, and, and I think, I think what, what happened in my own experience was that when I was going through this period of really overwhelming rage was that for so long I'd been taught to bring attention to these really difficult and challenging emotions. And what I needed to do actually was build up this reference point of what is actually pleasant and pleasurable and delightful and really build that resource before I could then go back in to these really difficult emotions. Right. And, oh, brilliant. So, and, and I also yeah. really had to grieve the loss of my meditation practice because it changed. And, and to this day, I still don't do formal practice as much as I did, you know, 10 years ago when I was, you know, I was like, my life was just meditation. I do a lot of formal sitting practice, but I do a lot of daily life practice. And that is what helps me stay in balance now. That's so interesting. So you're bringing up a bunch of things that happen when people get sick. You're bringing up rage. You're bringing up this this grief, this grief over what was, which is a huge, huge process when you're you're sick. The the everything that was, how I was, what I was, how I behaved, yeah. what I looked like, why all of but this. I- yeah, what I lost, everything. Um, and so yeah. tell me, I know there were so many dark hours for you, but you know, you yeah. went, you went years, you went something like eight years without getting diagnosed and having all of yeah. these symptoms. So tell me about some of your really dark hours and, and how you made it through them. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a great question, Jackie. And, and it's interesting because I have obviously like so many dark hours and, um, and there's so much that I could say about the process. And, and in some sense, it wasn't like there was like one defining moment as there were many defining moments. And in each moment, I had to really just ask myself, how, how 
do I want to be with this experience? But what comes to my mind as like a real turning point was about two years ago. Um, it was, I had, um, been, I had kind of just, maybe it was three, uh, no, about two years ago. And um, I was really in like a really deep fatigue and pain cycle. And, um, I had, I was constantly canceling events with friends. I was calling in sick to work a lot because I literally, couldn't get myself down my stairs into my car to drive into San Francisco to go teach mindfulness. Um, I was really depressed and, and I don't really experience depression in the way that say like other people have a very like clinical depression. And I've actually always been pretty happy and pretty like easily. Um, my joy has been pretty easily accessible. And so during this time I was so depressed and and just like I didn't want to do anything I had no motivation and I just felt so full of grief all the time because I was in pain and fatigued all the time and I decided to go on vacation to Mexico and I went down to this little this little uh, village on the coast and I literally just sat on the beach and I went swimming every day and I drank you know uh, virgin pina coladas because I don't really drink alcohol um, and I just slept and that's all I did. And it was literally the first time in eight years that I started to feel like myself again. And I started to feel alive in my body. And I mean, it so happens that I also met a man and I had a lover while I was there, which was really great. Um, and that was so nourishing for me because for so much of this time of being ill, relationships have been really challenging and and maintaining relationships have been challenging because I just haven't had the energy. So to have this really nourishing, rich experience of resting so deeply and letting my body just be at ease and then having this, you know, this experience of this lover with this beautiful man, it just really brought me back to life. And so what was interesting I came home, I flew home to California two days before Thanksgiving, and as soon as I landed, I was just overwhelmed with so much grief and so much of that feeling of loss of, for the first time in my, in the last eight years, I finally feel alive again, and now I have to come back to this place where I have experienced so much suffering. And I remember um, just like for days, you know, these two days before Thanksgiving, I was just crying constantly because what I really got in touch with was just the pace of my life is so unsustainable. And, and being sick, I could barely pull things together to make ends meet because it was just too much for me to maintain as one person. And so on Thanksgiving Day, I was driving across town to go have Thanksgiving dinner with some friends, and I was just overwhelmed with, with tears. And literally... <laughs> and this is kind of a mindful, I was doing a mindfulness practice where at every red light, I would let myself sob and cry. And I would literally say to myself, I was like, okay, Nicole, it's okay to feel it right now. And then the minute the light turned green, I had to pull it together because I had to drive. And luckily or not, depending on how you look at it, I had a lot of red lights. I hit literally every single red light on the way, you know, three miles across town to go have Thanksgiving dinner. And I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed at every red light and I just kept going between the green lights. And I was at dinner for like an hour. I was so 
just so full of grief that I decided to go home and I came home that night on Thanksgiving and I literally sobbed for like five hours. And, and I, at the end, I had one of those moments. It was like the Phoenix rising from the ashes moments that we've all had at one point. And it was like, this, this has to change. I have to get answers. And I remember at the end saying, I need help. I can't live this way anymore. Something has to change. I called the doctor and I said, I need this next appointment you can get me because I, like this has to change. I can't live this way anymore. And I walked into my, it was my doctor that I called. I walked into her office the next day and I just sat down and I was like, look, Dr. Miller, I'm not willing to live this way anymore. I'm not willing to accept no more answers, but I'm fine. Something is wrong with my body and I need answers. And over the course of the next month, I think I was probably in and out of the doctor's office three, two to three times a week. And I swear to God, they sucked so much blood out of my system for blood tests that I'm surprised I had any blood left. And, and I think it was just like I got to that really pivotal moment where I was in so much pain and so much grief and I had already lost so much of my life that I wasn't willing and there really was, I wasn't willing to lose anymore and there wasn't much more left to lose. And, and I think it's like, you know, anyone who's dealing with addiction or any other really difficult dysfunction, we get to that place where we hit rock bottom. And in this case, my rock bottom wasn't because of addiction or dysfunction. It was because of chronic illness that had, that had just been brushed off by so many doctors. And that day was really like the day I rose from the ashes or those, those series of days. It was like when I rose from the ashes and I decided I want my life back. I want to be free in my body and free in my heart. And the only way to do this is to really get serious about this and to really advocate on my own behalf in ways that doctors have not advocated for me. And and it was a really it was a really powerful physical turning point, emotional turning point, but also a really profound uh, spiritual turning point. Because it's like when we've lost or let go of everything, we have nothing left to lose and everything to gain. And, and that, I really feel like that was the, the most pivotal moment for me. And that was really only two years ago. Wow. And my life has changed tremendously. You surrendered. And like mm-hmm. you, uh, yeah, I want to talk all about what happened after that and all about the ways in which you really took your health into your own hands. But something that I love that you say or that, that you had written to me is that it's in the surrender that you it's in the true knowing the truth of your limitations was your Mm -hmm. freedom um and surrendering to what was and losing everything and letting go these are these are common themes through your your story with illness and the things that really got you well were once you really surrendered and let go and accepted really accepted that this is what your life was um I was going to say, let's get into the weekly challenge and discuss all the ways in which you handled getting well. Hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, great. Because I'm really excited about wellness. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay, let's take a break for the weekly challenge. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. 
Some of the challenges may not work for you and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, Nicole, (laughs) what is this week's challenge? This week's challenge. So I really believe that mindfulness brings us closer to the truth and that our power is in being present. So my challenge to the listeners of this week's podcast is is to get present, is to get really, really present and to to really lean in and listen to what are those truths, to get curious about what your illness, what your life, what anything that's happening in your direct experience, experience is trying to tell you. And, and I really believe that our power is in being present and that the more present we are, the closer we get to the truth. And the truth of what's happening in our lives, that's our freedom and that's where we get our, that's where we derive our power to continue to move forward. So how do so, we do that? Yeah, it's a really great question. So, you know, we do it in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's an acknowledging, oh, I need to actually go to bed at 10 instead of working on that project for a couple of more hours. I'm notoriously a night owl. And the hardest thing has been to get my ass in bed by 10 o'clock. But it's also been one of my greatest freedoms. And it's, you know, literally I get more sleep and I feel more power and more energy. We also, I also think we come closer to our truth when when we notice I'm wanting to fall back into that old way of behaving that doesn't really serve me. And we get curious about, you know, what do I actually get out of this? And why do I, and really answering honestly, why do I keep engaging in this behavior? And, you know, one of the very most basic simple ways that I lean into my truth or that my mindfulness practice brings me closer to the truth is that I just sit down. And I set my phone aside and I don't get on my computer and I literally just sit down in a chair and I just feel my feet on the ground. And I, I listen to those gut instincts or when I find myself caught in this, you know, question around, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing? I'll just stop. I'll just stop asking and I'll, I'll sit back and I'll just listen and I'll wait until the voice of truth comes of its own accord rather than trying to force solutions. So, you know, it could be as simple as a formal meditation practice, or it could be, you know, that I go take a walk and I'm reminded of something that's beautiful. And I I think of a day that I was taking a walk one morning and uh, I turned a corner and on the sidewalk right in front of me, someone had spray-painted, see the beauty here. And so I now have that picture on the screen of my phone as this reminder to see the beauty. Um. Sometimes getting closer to the truth is just as simple as taking a deep breath and feeling how my body relaxes. Um, it's, it's being honest about what I can and can't do. It's, it's about being willing to just be more honest with myself about what's really important in my life and would I rather have that delicious, wonderful, creamy, fruity thing or would I rather have freedom in my body? Mm. And, so, you know, I could go on and on and on and I could say so much more, but I think it's so different for each person. But I think it's about, you know, asking deeper questions and being open to our own deeper answers. 
Right. I love that. Ask deeper questions and be open to your own deeper answers. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, really love that. And I think one of the big questions, you know, something that inspired me so much on, you know, some of the things I read from you was the really, really getting to know your limitations, accept them, and getting free just knowing them. So I think a great question to ask yourself, and I don't love the word limitation, so maybe I'll just say your tr- your truth, you know, getting, yeah. getting to really know your truth. And for you, you know, those are things like um, going to bed at 10 p.m. You uh-huh. There's a lot of different foods you can't eat. Uh-huh. Uh, there's uh, – you can't hang out with toxic people anymore or yeah. you can't even eat things like strawberries or limes or tomatoes, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> – uh-huh. um, so I think what are some of – yeah, what are some of the things that you've come to learn about yourself that you've really had to adjust your life to and and please share with the audience how it wasn't a negative. It was such a, a positive for you to accept and see these things. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such an important question, and the first thing that comes to my mind, and it is this piece around surrender, and and I think I shared with you that I read a, this. I was reading this book a while ago, and this woman, in her book, she's telling this story of her own really traumatic experience, and I love what she says. She goes, "Our power comes from our surrender, not from the fight," and and so I think one of the truths that truths that I had to come to, come to terms with was that I was fighting it and fighting it and fighting it for so long. And, and that it only really came when I fully surrendered. And it reminds me also of what an old meditation teacher said to me many years ago. I was probably 29, so about 12 years ago. Um, I was really going through a very painful period of my life. And, and I asked her, how do I make this emptiness go away and she said well you know you gotta make friends with the emptiness and I was like fuck that shit no way and I was like okay I'm gonna put my big girl panties on and you know and say okay how do you do that and she's like well you have to be willing to let go of everything everything she literally just said those nine words and those nine words changed my life and what I got what she was pointing to was that it's not that I had to give up my car or my job or all these things but it's like I had to give up all these ideas of who I thought I wanted to be or how I thought other people needed me to be or all of the things that I was holding on to that were keeping me stuck and suffering. I had to be willing to let go of those and just fall and just free fall and trust that at some point I would find solid ground, but I had to be willing to let go. And so on a more practical level, you know, as it relates to the question that you're asking me, again, what I come back to is I have to be willing to let go. So, you know, I had to, you know, whether it's acknowledging my limitations or just really, you know, getting honest about what is true is that I've had to let go of everything. You know, I had to let go of the possibility of going back to graduate school. I had to let go of relationships. I had to let go of my social life at certain points in time because while all my friends were off going to festivals and all this other stuff, I was really sick. And I tried to go to those festivals and I tried to go to those gatherings and it just made me more sick because everything I did depleted me. And I've had to let go of literally every single of my favorite foods. I can't eat anything that causes any acidity in my body. And let me tell you, my favorite flavor is sour. 
Mm-hmm. So it rolls out. It literally, like chocolate, who cares? But sour, I love sour. And I've had to let go of anything that causes any acidity in my system. Um, I've had to, and I, you know, I, and what I've also learned through this is that in different ways I used food as an emotional coping mechanism. And so I literally get to eat like five things right now. There's no fun in my diet. But every time I have to ask myself, do I want to be healthy or would I rather have that sweet thing or would I rather have that sour thing that's going to actually literally physically cause my body to hurt when I ingest this? Mm-hmm. And I've had to let go of ambitions and I've I've really had to let go of toxic relationships. I've had to let go of my codependency of thinking that I could you know, make other people's lives better. And that was really one of my addictions earlier in my earlier in my life. And I had to let go of, you know, these dreams that I've had and really surrender to what is real and right now in my life. And, and it's been incredibly painful. And, and the more I practice letting go, the more freedom I feel and the more health I feel. Right. And so I think that, I think of this idea of like trying to force solutions. Like if I just do this, it'll work out the way I want it. And again, like that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. Like you don't get, you don't get well from trying to force solutions. You get well from surrendering, from accepting. And, you know, I used to really identify as an artist and I, you know, right around the time of the sexual assault, the rape, my creativity was at a real peak and I was going in the direction of going to school to study more dance and theater and all of these other things. And I had to say goodbye. That wasn't an option for me anymore because my life just kind of like went off the rails for a while. And so what I've really had to do is as I let go, I have to really accept that this isn't making my life worse. It's actually making my life better. And I've also had to just grieve. I've had to really, really allow myself to grieve and have compassion. And I have had to stop. This is the biggest thing. I've had to stop comparing myself to other people because I live in the Bay area and there's so many fucking brilliant people giving Ted talks on every corner. And I'm like, I'm not going to be giving a Ted talk anytime soon. I have to accept that my life is what it is and it has its own lawful unfolding and that there's some value in what I'm doing. And it may not be that I'm out teaching mindfulness to Google, but that's okay. I don't have to teach mindfulness to Google. I don't actually want to teach mindfulness to mm-hmm. Google, but you know what I mean? Yeah, right. No, this is all it's like, really big stuff. Yeah. And I think it can be really, really scary for people to hear mm-hmm. all the stuff you were willing to let go of and all the ways in which your life changed. And I just want to kind of ask and say, you know – um, it's not forever. You are not intending yeah. to, you know, um, you're not intending to like never live out your dreams or, <laughs> or, you know, let go of, I mean, letting go of toxic relationships is great under any circumstance, but you're, I mean, yeah. you're not, there's a lot of stuff in there that going mm-hmm. to grad school may very well come around the corner again, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe you'll realize you don't want to go, but like, yeah. I think, I think, uh, you, this is a temporary thing where you're not, you're not forcing yourself to, uh, do, yeah. do more than you're capable of doing at the moment. Yeah. And that's where you're finding your healing. Um, and yeah. also 
you know, it's so funny because the things that sound so scary and the things that I was most resistant to were the things that ultimately made me the healthiest and made me feel uh, so much happier, healthier, freer, and lighter and better. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. So in this letting go, you've actually found, you know, yeah. <laughs> a great, yeah, like, great sense of freedom. Yeah, and and that's really, you know, it's it's not ironic that in letting go, because when we're holding on, we're holding on to, to whatever it is. But in the letting go, it creates so much space. And And I think what's been really fascinating as I've gone through this process is that as I've gone through this exercise of letting go of this and letting go of this and letting go of this, what's been profound is that my desires have changed and my goals have changed and my values and so things that I really wanted to do, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago are not the same things that are meaningful to me now. And and I think of something one of my clients talks about a lot. She always she often talks about how she has this aspiration for slow living. Mm. And 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 I I it's such a beautiful aspiration for slow living, for slow simple, happy living. And I think one of the things, it's one of the, the unfortunate faults of our society is that so often our value is determined by what we have or what we do or who we are and how we present to the world. And really, I just want to be me. I don't want to be or do these things that I think I need to do in order to be good enough for somebody else. And so a lot of what this process has done it's really brought me back to that center place where I get to decide for myself my value and what I bring to the world. And and I don't have to live up to somebody else's idea of what I should be because I'm already good enough. I'm already enough just as I am. And and so that I think that's the biggest thing that I've let go of is this pattern of believing that I wasn't good enough and that I had to live up to some other standard. When really I get to decide for myself and there's so much freedom when I decide for myself, what do I actually want? What, what actually resonates for me? What, what actually huge, feels true for me? What a huge triumph. Um, huge, huge triumph to, to get to that place. I mean, we're all kind of after that kind mm-hmm. of, <laughs> that kind of mentality. You said this brilliant thing that in letting go of everything, um, you caught your life back. So I find that so interesting. So tell us, I'm going to kind of go through like a lightning question round here at the end. Mm -hmm. So tell us um, a triumph or two. I mean, you've just told us a few triumphs, Mm -hmm. but a triumph or two Mm -hmm. on this road of healing in the last two years, some some of the things you're able to do now that you weren't able to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what one of the the major things is my body is just a lot healthier than it was two years ago. And I have so much more energy than I did, which is a huge triumph. And it has everything to do with changing my diet, resting more, uh, letting go of things that were, you know, not serving me and really exercising a lot. I joined the gym and it's like been such a profound thing in my life. Really? So it the, doesn't, uh, sorry, I want to interject with a question. So the gym and fibromyalgia, you don't, it doesn't, you learned what kind of exercises to do, I'm assuming mm-hmm. that wouldn't give you flare ups. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked with a personal trainer for a few months and he helped me create some different, <clears throat> excuse me, exercise protocols. And I actually, 
And, and exercise, ironically, is one of the things that's indicated for fibromyalgia um, because it, I, I don't really know what's happening in the body. And it feels ironic because, like, you're so tired and your body's in so much pain that you would think you wouldn't want to exercise. But it has been a huge game changer for me. And okay, great. And I, and I think, honestly, you know, one of the biggest triumphs really feels like just making the decision itself to get healthy because we live in a society that really um, makes a lot of space for people to be unhealthy and it's like almost cool in some ways. And and so really deciding that I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to change the direction of my life, that feels like such a big triumph because for so many years I just, I was so miserable and I was in such a dark place. And um, so that itself feels like quite a profound, a profound triumph. So, mm, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think the other piece that feels like such a big triumph is the decision not to let my illnesses define or limit me. That, you know, I'm a person who has these conditions, but I'm not those conditions. My life is not, I am not a fibromyalgia. I am not a chronic fatigue. I am not an interstitial cystitis. I am a woman who deals with these but there's so much more to me than just these experiences in my physical body. So mm. I like I'm a woman who feels joy. I'm a woman who has desire and pleasure and who loves so many things, but I want my life to be full and rich beyond that that basic experience of chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you manage today your big full life with self care? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's such a great question. And, um, you know, in some ways, this is still a work in progress. Um, but, you know, what I come back to is what my meditation teacher said, you know, when I was 29 years old, that I have to be willing to let go of everything. And and so I do a lot of spot checking. And I'll ask, is this thing that I'm doing or is this thing that I'm eating or is this person I'm hanging out with, are these nourishing me? Or are these causing more suffering? And that's one of the primary things that I do to check in and see and, and really tend to my self-care. So I practice a lot of letting go. I practice a lot of letting go. And and I think one of the other ways that I live a big full life is that I practice a lot of allowing my life to look different than I hoped it would. And I and I find that, you know, the more I let go and the more open I am to new and different iterations of my life and new and different experiences, that it really helps me strike more balance and and it helps me feel more healthy because mm-hmm. I'm not holding on so tightly. And, you know, and I also, you know, just really basic things like I get more sleep, I eat better food, like I don't have any processed food in my house at all. I make everything from scratch. I make my own yogurt. I make everything. Um, okay, so so you just need to tell us all how you make your own yogurt, and then <laughs> <laughs> it's actually amazingly simple. So you go out and you buy one of these instant yogurt yogurt makers. I don't remember the brand name of mine, but it comes with little jars and it it heats up to just the perfect temperature. And then I boil. I, I don't eat any cow's dairy. I only eat goat dairy because it's naturally homogenized and easier to digest. Um, and so I heat the goat milk. Uh, I think I heat it to boiling. And then I let it cool down to 95 degrees. 
And then when it's 95 degrees, I pull out a little bit of it and I mix it with an existing container of yogurt. And, and then I mix that mix into the rest of the milk. And then I pour it into the little jars. I put the lid on and I let it, I let it do its thing for about 10 to 12 hours. And then at the end of 10 to 12 hours, voila, I have homemade goat yogurt. It's really amazing. Oh my God. And it has yeah. all of the probiotics in it. <laughs> yeah. It's really amazing. Wow. And, you know, even as we speak, I have a batch of bone broth cooking on the stove. So oh. good. That makes me yeah. like want to die a little bit right now because <laughs> it is really hot here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I make my own bone broth too, and I highly suggest it to everybody if you're if yeah. you're not a vegan. But um, it's like yeah. 90 degrees, and I only have AC in my bedroom, and I'm in the <laughs> kitchen, and all the windows are no. closed for sound, and I'm just like, oh yeah. my god. <laughs> You're dying. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, yeah. This yeah. was such an amazing chat, you guys. Uh, if you like this chat, share it with your friends and um, write to us. Nicole, where can people find you? Uh, well, there's my website. So it's www.presencemindfulness.com. There's also my Facebook page, which is Presence Mindfulness. Uh, then I also have a Presence Mindfulness Instagram account. And I think that pretty much covers the basics. Okay, and I'll be linking to all of that in the show notes, obviously, Uh, and I'll I'll be linking to everything else uh, we discussed, and and I'll be writing about everything else we talked about. Um, Great, great. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really really thrilled to be here, and I've been really inspired by what you've been doing, so I hope that this inspires someone else, and I really look forward to seeing what you have coming ahead. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you so inspire me. And um, bye, guys. Stick around for for everything I have to say once Nicole and I hang up, okay? (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Find me at Jackie on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, and follow me at JackieShay.com if you want to stay in touch. You can also write to me through JackieShay.com if you're interested in working with me as your trusted wellness companion. I'm always happy to hear from you with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can also join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea Facebook group. Have an amazing week, you kick-ass humans. I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week, and I can't wait to share more. Bye.